Tis the season for a stalemate. The lead starts right now. A White House official called it a sensitive request that needed to be closely held. Newly released emails about freezing aid to Ukraine, prompting Democrats to renew calls for more information. President Trump has a plan to reassure evangelicals after a scathing rebuke from a top Christian publication. Will it work? Plus, as North Korea threatens to deliver the U.S. a Christmas gift, a former top Trump official says the president is doing it all wrong. Welcome to The Lead on this Monday. I'm Erica Hill, in for Jake. And we begin with the politics lead, a renewed push from Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to get documents and witnesses for the expected Senate impeachment trial. The move comes on the heels of newly released emails, which detail how the effort to freeze aid to Ukraine began roughly 90 minutes after that now infamous July 25th phone call. But as CNN's Manu Raju reports, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he doesn't expect a resolution to the stalemate until the new year. A new chapter in the fight over President Trump's Senate trial. Good afternoon, everybody. As Democrats push for a slew of documents and Republicans continue to wait for the articles of impeachment from the House. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell again today pointing the finger at House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Look, we're at an impasse. We can't do anything until the Speaker sends the papers over, so everybody enjoy the holidays. Sources say McConnell and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have no plans at the moment to talk. After Schumer demanded that the leaders first agree to hear from witnesses blocked by the White House, and review scores of documents withheld at the president's request. We need documents. In a letter to all senators today, Schumer detailed the wide range of documents he believes senators must see to conduct a fair trial. And so far, Pelosi says she needs to see what the Senate process is first before naming managers to prosecute the case and before delivering the articles of impeachment to the Senate. Is that the is that the requirement? You need to see a fair process before. We would hope there would be a fair process, just as we hope that they would honor the Constitution. McConnell today pushing back. It seems to me a rather absurd position to say after you've impeached the president, you won't send the papers over to the Senate for the impeachment trial mandated by the Constitution. But Democrats now have fresh ammunition after a court ruling prompted the release of an email showing White House budget official Michael Duffy calling for the freeze on military aid to Ukraine just 90 minutes after the July phone call in which Trump urged the Ukrainian president to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden. Schumer demanding Duffy's testimony. If there was ever an argument that we need Mr. Duffy to come testify, this is that information. This email is explosive. Yet Republicans remain reluctant to criticize any part of Trump's conduct. Presidents make mistakes. I don't know if this call was a mistake, but again, I think there are plenty of mistakes that have been made by both President Obama and President Trump regarding Ukraine. Now, when the trial eventually starts, the focus will be on whether four Republicans will break ranks and vote with Democrats to compel witness testimony. But no one is revealing how they'll vote yet. And even one in a potentially tough race, Joni Ernst, told me she didn't want to hear from Mick Mulvaney or John Bolton. Erica, she said that should have been the House's job. Erica. That's an interesting revelation right there. Uh, Manu, thank you. Appreciate it. As we look at all of this and where we stand, John Avalon, these emails that were released over the weekend, they do offer some new insight into how the aid was withheld and ultimately released. What do they change? 
Well, it's a question of whether Republicans are going to recognize facts as being something that are important to any decision they make. The news that Manu just broke that the, the Joni Ernst, senator from Iowa, is saying that she doesn't want to hear from witnesses, that that's something the House should have done, I think is stunning, considering that she's got a tough re-election. She's in what's traditionally been a swing state. Um, and she's saying that she's going to be part of the Know Nothing Caucus in the Senate. That is stunning and disturbing. The real question is, is there any information that could come out that would open or change Republicans' minds? That itself seems, and the answer seems to be no, and that's disturbing just from a reason together on behalf of the Republic. Well, level. putting together those two points, Manu's reporting that we just heard there about yes. Junior's not wanting to hear from Mulvaney or Bolton, but also the fact that Democrats are quick, SE, to jump <clears> on these <throat> emails and say, well, look at this, look at what this connects in terms of the dots. But yet, if you step back for a minute... It doesn't necessarily say X happened, there's some redactions, and therefore we know this is exactly what the president's mindset was. This is what forced it to happen. This is exactly how it played out. But I think if you did, to John's point, I'm not sure that would change minds. If you've already said the president's going to be acquitted, as Mitch McConnell has, if you've already said, I don't need to hear from any of your witnesses, as Joni Ernst has said, you've already decided that... None of this is impeachable and and the president is in, innocent. This is a witch hunt. So, I mean, I, I think I think the idea that this is an impartial, neutral exercise really on both sides, I, I will say, is naive. This is a performance. It's a performance that might have a constitutional uh, moral underpinning behind it. Sure. But it's a performance. Well, in terms of that, and senators on both sides, I just want to play a little bit of what uh, Senator Dick Durbin had to say to Dana Bash uh, about senators saying how they plan to vote. Take a listen. <clears throat> I think they've gone too far. Uh, you know, how can they hold their hands up and say, I swear impartial justice, I'd like to sit at the manager's table with the president's team. You can't do that. Uh, they shouldn't have done that. Well, the Democrats have done Senator it, too. Senator McConnell and Senator Grant. Well, they shouldn't. They shouldn't, Keith. They shouldn't on both sides. And yet, to Essie's point, right into <laughs> right. Dana's point, they have been doing it. Now we even hear Democratic Senator Doug Jones saying, hey, listen, I need a little bit more to connect these dots. There's a, well, there's a lot of information that's already out there that we know. And there's more information that may come if there is a fair trial. I think the Constitution dictates there should be a fair trial. I mean, we don't necessarily want to have a show trial. And I think Nancy Pelosi is right to sort of wait till she finds out what, exact, what exactly is the process and before she determines who the impeachment managers will be from the House. Uh, now, in terms of the Republicans, I think they're in a difficult position, too, because if they're going to go along the lines of they say that whatever Trump does, they're not going to make any they're not going to make any reason to have any reason to think that there's anything wrong with it, then they're going to have to defend that forever. They're going to have to defend that through the rest of the year. And we know there's going to be more Trump scandals that are going to come down the way. This is a guy who started off two days before he took office. He paid a $25 million fraud settlement. And just a few days ago, he paid a $2 million settlement uh, or was responsible for a $2 million settlement. So he's got corruption on top of corruption on top of corruption that they're going to be accountable for and they're going to be held accountable for from, from here on out. Oh, I, I will point out, though, depending on what happens, right, with what everything we, everything we see in the Senate, who's to say? I mean, you look at those things and you say the president should be held accountable for, the, for all of this. If he's not being held accountable at this point... I mean, what would change, Joey Jackson, that all of a sudden some other conduct would then get the support? Uh, I don't think anything. So let's talk politics and let's talk legal, right? Generally speaking, in my line of business, facts matter. When you go and you're presenting to a jury, you 
give them facts What's and they're driven. I would say we can all agree in so, our line of work. And that's a problem, right? When you're parading in front of a jury, you're asking them to look at facts. Now, there are facts that may be harmful to you that you as an attorney may want to minimize. And there are facts that certainly are helpful that you want to maximize. But when you look at this here, we're talking about, you know, it seems to me that there are facts that are very compelling. It seems to me we can also get additional facts. And if you want to make the argument that, you know what, it's hearsay, we don't have direct witnesses. Well, you know what, Mr. President and administration, you are in a position to provide those direct witnesses, but you're not doing it. I don't think any fact, even if we hear from Mulvaney, right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the, the budget office, we hear from budget level authorities, we hear from the secretary of state, we hear from the president. I don't really think it's going to move the needle because it goes to the political point. I think people are entrenched, Erica, in their position. Really quickly, as you point out about information, these emails that came to light over the weekend, we know about them because of a freedom of, of, freedom of information right. request. Do you think, Joey, in looking at that, did they help to make the case in terms of setting up a case with facts for why it's important to have witnesses and evidence in a, in a Senate trial. I do. And just for two reasons. I mean, look, if you look at the emails or at least the essence of what we know about the emails, we see that there's this connection, right? This link. 90 minutes after a call, yeah. there's the indication that we're going to hold off an aid. Well, if you're looking for a connection, that seems to me to be a pretty compelling one. Second issue, when you're talking about, but don't say anything, keep it quiet, mm-hmm. keep it on the hush, mm-hmm. that goes to what we lawyers call consciousness of guilt. If mm-hmm. something helps yep. me or helps my client, yep. I'm going to jump on top of a desk. I'm going to say, look, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this is exhibit A, but you're going to say, keep it quiet. That goes to show you know what you're doing is wrong. So you know what? It's troubling. Yeah. I mean, that's what the emails show very clearly. The fact pattern is good. And when they say, when the woman from the DOD asks, what caused this change in policy? The answer is redacted. Redacted. (laughs) So we don't know what's there. there Uh, Not the last we'll talk about them. President Trump, meantime, focusing his anger on an unusual target in front of a group of young conservatives. Then Saudi Arabia sentencing five people to death for the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. But there are more questions now than answers after the trial. President Trump announcing a rally for evangelical Christians in Miami next week. Now, this comes in the wake of a top Christian publication calling for Mr. Trump's removal from office because of his, quote, blackened moral record. Yet as CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, some 200 other evangelical leaders are already speaking out in support of the president. President Trump hitting the links at his West Palm Beach Golf Club Monday and hitting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Twitter, still angry over impeachment, calling the process unfair and suggesting Pelosi will lose the House for Democrats in 2020. The next election and his support among evangelicals also top of mind for Trump. On the heels of a scathing call for his removal from office in Christianity Today, a centrist evangelical magazine founded by the late Reverend Billy Graham, the Trump campaign launching the Evangelicals for Trump Coalition, scheduling a rally specifically for Christian supporters next week in Miami. As 200 evangelical leaders rushed to Trump's defense, signing a letter bashing the magazine, calling their op-ed offensive. One of those leaders, Jerry Falwell Jr., tweeting a controversial defense of Trump, writing, quote, The impeachment by the Democrats was their Pearl Harbor. I predict the 2020 election will be Hiroshima and Nagasaki for the Dems. Over the weekend, Trump also railed during a speech to a group of conservative students, ranting about a frequent but unusual target, windmills. I never understood wind, and I know windmills very much. 
I've studied it better than anybody. Falsely claiming they create pollution. If you're into this, tremendous fumes, gases are spewing into the atmosphere. Saying they cripple property values without any proof. And if you own a house with a vision of some of these monsters, uh, your house is worth 50% of the price. And that's not all. A windmill will kill many bald eagles. It's true. Even though there's no proof that's true, the president took his claim even further. They're noisy. They kill the birds. You want to see a bird grade? You just go. Take a look. Erica, in response to the criticism, Christianity Today has come out and said that they stand by their op-ed. Their editor-in-chief saying that they hope that this starts a dialogue among evangelicals about President Trump's actions in office. Erica. Uh, We will look to see what that dialogue ultimately is. Boris, thank you, as always. Um, I also want to play a little bit of what Senator Roy Blunt had to say this weekend to Dana Bash on State of the Union, talking about evangelical support for the president. Take a listen. The faith-based community generally is very supportive of this president because he's been very supportive of them. You struggle I, I, personally with the kinds if, of things you described. If you, you look described. at the president's actions, if Roy Blunt looks at the president's actions, no president in my lifetime has been as aggressive in trying to achieve the goals that uh, faith-based voters have set out than this one has. And, and what are some of those goals, Essie, if we look at this? Mm-hmm. And there has been much said about this, certainly, especially in the last few days as well. His legacy in the courts alone, mm-hmm. appointing conservative justices. Also, when we look at this, does this boil down to appointing conservative judges and outlawing abortion? Does that mm-hmm. matter more at this point, is it your sense, than the central tenets of someone's faith, especially when we're talking about evangelical voters. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add Israel to that list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I'm an atheist. I went to Catholic school for most of my life, though. And the goal is not to identify policies that you might pers- you know, subscribe to and then put aside your moral issues. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Christianity teaches. Um, and, and I'm not going to pretend to know what's in the hearts and minds of mm-hmm. millions of evangelicals. Uh, but it's it's concerning, and I do hope that this op-ed c- creates a dialogue um, because I think it's one that evangelicals should be having. They're not a monolith, and they don't all vote the same or based on the same things. And look, every vote is a complicated vote, no matter who you are and what your moral compass um, is. But I also would say I think this is an opportunity for a Democrat like Pete Buttigieg, who speaks... Christianity fluently. A lot of the other Democrat (laughs) candidates don't. And it's a put on and you can tell it's a put on Uh, for someone like Pete Buttigieg. This is a real this is a real important part of his life. And I think it might be nice to know if you're a Democratic voter that there there are Christians left in the party who can talk the talk and walk the walk. If you might be considering uh, switching your vote from Trump to some other candidate. Yeah, I I, I, Keith, go ahead. No, it's fine. I just don't know why the white evangelical movement has hijacked Christianity in America. Mm. Uh, because African-American evangelicals do not feel the same way about mm. Donald Trump. They do not feel the same way about the conservative push and the, ant- and the unwillingness to talk about racism in America. You know, I've talked about this before. The, the white evangelical community supported uh, slavery in America. They supported segregation in America. They support racism in America today. And so I think we have to make, make a clear distinction between the black evangelical community and the white mm-hmm. evangelical I, community. I think it's a little too far to say but white I, evangelicals I, writ large support well, well, racism. I, and I'm this not, is exactly... Well, I'm not saying but 
exactly the, saying, the way saying, Democrats lose evangelical voters. And they don't I, have, not, you don't have to go not, that far. I'm not talking about winning voters. I'm talking about saying the truth. The truth is that the black, the black Christian community writ large has been different from the black, from the white Christian community writ large. I'm not saying that everybody in those communities is the same because neither one of them are yeah. monolithic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nor is the evangelical community monolithic. But I mean, for God's sake, Republicans have been selling this idea that they're the moral majority party, the party of family values for 30, 40 years now. And it's just not true. Democrats should be able to at least say that we believe in, in some sort of some sort of ideas that, that if you believe in Christianity, that Christ, that Christ believed in. What about helping the poor and helping the needy? What about mm -hmm. helping people who are sick? All the Republicans seem to talk about is one issue, one issue, abortion. That is not the only issue in the Bible. And Jesus never even mentioned abortion, for God's sake. It is, it is a fair point. John, you want to jump in? Yeah, look, look I mean, it, it, A, it's a mistake to consider the evangelical uh, movement monolithic. B, there should be more honest competition. No political party can lay claim to the Bible. I mean, from James Madison on down, one of the founding precepts of our country is that we don't have a founding religion. Um, but it is troubling to see white evangelicals overwhelmingly support this president, even at numbers exceeding an authentic born-again Christian, George W. Right. Bush, who pursued many of the same policies. And I think it comes down to a bit of a, a, a deal that sometimes is lost on Democrats. There is this sense that he is, he, we have the same enemies. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And he may be kind of a King David figure who we will accept all his personal peccadilloes because he's pursuing our agenda. Mm. But that itself is a dangerous game to play, especially in the name of, of, of Christianity. I do really want to quickly get to this, too, because we're, we're tight on time on this thing. But, Joy, I just want to get your take on this, because that is an important conversation we need to keep having. The other thing that really stuck out to me that we've heard uh, in the last however many hours is we know the president has long claimed that the FBI and the Obama administration mm. spied on his campaign. But this is what Kevin McCarthy, the top Republican in the House, had to say over the weekend. Well, if you pause for one moment and you read this IG report by Horowitz, here's the FBI. They broke into President Trump at the time, candidate Trump's campaign, spied on him, and then they covered it up. It is a modern-day Watergate. It is not a modern-day Watergate. That is a lie. It is completely false, as we know, of course, from the Justice Department's Inspector General. See, the, the problem is, is that facts matter, but they almost don't. The fact is, is that if you're in one party, there's facts. I guess you want to ignore it. The inspector general essentially said there was no spying. Not, notwithstanding that, Erica, the president himself continues to push the narrative that it was. Now you just showed the clip. They're suggesting that it was. And it just is not true. But that supports a political narrative, which you feed to your base, which mm -hmm. apparently is acceptable. And it's just wrong. One other quick point, just to pivot back to Essie's point about this whole issue. You see, it's, a, it's an opportunity, this mm -hmm. op-ed the evangelicals for Mayor Pete, mm -hmm. I see it as an opportunity for the Republican Party. I mean, there was someone who had the guts to come out and to stand tall and to say enough. I view what the president's doing as grossly, not my words, their words, immoral, mm -hmm. right? Why does it take this particular uh, newspaper? Of course, the president's casting it as a left-wing newspaper. Well, that's not true either. Facts matter. They mm -hmm. seem not to matter in this era. But someone has to stand up. And it even appears now with this impeachment proceeding, no one is. It's a perfect call. And everyone says it's a perfect call. We are going to continue to, to, to rely on facts, though, because you're right. Yep, thank they goodness. do matter. Uh, meantime, the fight for witnesses up next. House Democrats just responding to the Trump administration's attempt to keep a key figure from testifying.
We're back now with the politics lead. House Democrats insisting they still need the testimony of former White House counsel Don McGahn because their investigation into whether President Trump obstructed justice continues and could, in theory, lead to additional articles of impeachment. That is in response to a filing overnight from the Justice Department, which argues the courts should avoid weighing in on McGahn while an impeachment trial is pending. I want to bring in CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez. So Evan, DOJ also saying that since the articles of impeachment do not include obstruction of justice, which they want to hear from Don McGahn about, his testimony is irrelevant at this point. That's right, uh, Erica. In the articles of impeachment, there's only one cursory uh, sort of reference to the Mueller investigation. And and that's one reason why the Justice Department says that the courts, first of all, should stay out of this. It's been their argument for for some months now that that the courts should play no role in a fight that is between Congress and the White House. But at the heart of this is the importance of, of this big question, which is, can the president give absolute immunity to his close aides? That's what the president is arguing, that uh, these people don't even have to show up uh, to, uh, to in response to a subpoena from, from Congress. Uh, in this case, Don McGahn, who, uh, as you know, was, a, was the former White House counsel and was an important witness in the obstruction of justice part of the Mueller investigation. Well, and Evan, the House is also arguing that it needs Mueller grand jury secrets to show in the Senate impeachment trial President Trump's pattern of soliciting interference and obstruction. Right, exactly. That's the one reference that they make in the articles of impeachment mm-hmm. that have already been approved. Uh, but the question here is, you know, what does this matter for for any other parts of the, of what the set, what the uh, House Democrats are doing? And I think what the courts are struggling with, uh, and you know, certainly what the the administration is trying to exploit here, is the fact that the Democrats have already vo- have already voted for these articles of impeachment. And the answer is from the House Democrats is we can always impeach him again. Essentially, we can add more articles of impeachment. Uh, in addition to the ones that have already been approved. It'll be interesting to see how that would work. Evan Perez, appreciate it as always. Thank you. CNN legal analyst Joey Jackson back with me now. So let's start with what we heard uh, from the Justice Department, these arguments, again, filed overnight. Do those arguments hold water? Depends who you ask. Depends who you're sitting next to, right? If I'm a Department of Justice lawyer, Eric, I'm going to say absolutely they do. They carry the day. But let's just try to evaluate it objectively. I think the court clearly has a place here. Why? You can't, on the one hand, argue that, you know what, McGahn is absolutely immune. He's not going to go to Congress because I say so. If you don't like that, go to the court. Okay, so then we go to the court and then you get a district court ruling that says that presidents, we elect them. We don't elect kings or anything else. He has to testify. But if there are specific issues that you feel are privileged, that you feel fall into a legal exception, he could cite that at the time of his testimony. And then, of course, now you say, well, no, it's going to impede upon what we're doing here. I don't think it's a credible argument. Look, as lawyers, we get you know paid to make arguments. We get paid to support clients and what they want us to have us do as long as those arguments are not we call frivolous, meaning they have no merit. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's really uh, not a legitimate argument to make that the court has no place. It may impede upon the impeachment proceedings and therefore hold off, hold the phone, don't do it. I just think that, uh, no, it's it's not a stall tactic. I I do. I mean, look, what what else? It's it's been a complete stall. We know that Congress has a responsibility and that responsibility includes getting information from the executive. So to your point, in terms of Congress has a responsibility, the House, as we just heard, is saying, listen, part of the reason that we need to hear from Don McGahn is that we are not done investigating. And there could be more 
articles of impeachment. There very well may. I mean, it's premature, right? I think they have to get through this. There's been an impeachment. We'll see what happens now at the Senate trial in terms of whether there's actually more evidence and information and facts. And will those facts, Erica, actually matter? But sure. I mean, look, if you do something that's impeachable, the House has a role to ferret out what that is. And to the extent that McGahn has critical information that he has not conveyed because he's being held and not to testify, I think the court should make a ruling. They should proceed. You think they should make a ruling? Just quickly, do you think McGahn and other important witnesses could be compelled to testify? I I don't see it. I mean, I think they should be. But at the rate this is going, are you talking about the Senate trial? For purposes of the Senate trial, I think that's completely in the arm of one Mitch McConnell, Mm -hmm. the Senate majority leader. I think he'll call the shots. And I think uh, basically they will not be compelled unless he says they're compelled. I don't see that happening. Might take a Christmas miracle for (laughs) that. It very well may. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, Joey. Uh, With one Democratic senator saying there are holes in the impeachment case, did the House overplay its hand? We'll ask a Democratic member of the House next. House Democrats today pushing back on the Justice Department, arguing they still want former White House counsel Don McGahn to testify because they're not done investigating the president. And caution, McGahn's testimony could result in even more articles of impeachment against Mr. Trump. That is in response, of course, to this late-night filing by the DOJ, which argues the federal court should stay out of the matter. I want to bring in now Democratic Congressman Amibera of California. Uh, Good to have you with us today, sir. So if Don McGahn were to say something that you feel incriminates the president, would you really expect that there could be more articles of impeachment in the House? Certainly. I think it's important to understand the process we just went through. The House is responsible for doing the investigation and doing the oversight. And impeachment isn't recommending removal from office. Impeachment is actually bringing the charges. So we thought there was enough evidence to bring Article 1, which was abuse of power. We thought there was enough evidence to bring Article 2, which was obstruction of Congress. And there was debate about a potential article of obstruction of justice. I think that's what's taking place right now. We're still doing the investigation um, into that potential obstruction of justice. And that's where Don McGahn comes in. The McGahn case, of course, heads back to a federal appeals court next Friday. Um, Initially, Democrats wanted to move things along quickly. But would you now support a delay on the Senate trial until you know whether you would actually hear, could hear from Don McGahn? Yeah, possibly. Again, we do have some concerns that Mitch McConnell, who kind of is your your foreman of of the jury, which is the Senate, saying that he's already um, made a decision to acquit the president, that doesn't suggest a fair trial. And I think the president ought to have a fair trial. They ought to see witnesses. And again, if there's additional evidence for a potential third charge, maybe you do delay for a, a bit, but you don't want to delay forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit, not forever. Um, you voted, of course, in favor of the two articles of impeachment. As we know, Speaker Pelosi is refusing to send those articles over until she learns more about how Lear McConnell plans to conduct the trial. I'm curious, now that you're home in California, what are you hearing from folks in your district about that decision? You know, I think folks understand that they'd like to see a fair trial and understand the parameters of the trial. I also think there are a lot of Americans that are ready to move beyond the impeachment back and forth and want to start focusing in on you know, bread and butter issues like prescription drug prices, infrastructure, et cetera. So if they want to move beyond, we know Mitch McConnell had said, look, there's not going to be a resolution until the new year. Um, and there has been some pushback on the decision by Speaker Pelosi. Are you concerned that, that holding out on these articles is starting to negatively affect Democrats? Well, I would hope everyone goes home for the holidays um, 
and comes back with some Christmas cheer and we're actually able to come to some consensus. I know um, Leader Schumer and um, McConnell are having trouble, you know, kind of agreeing on what the parameters of a trial would look like. It's their responsibility. And again, I would hope they come to a conclusion that there'll be a fair and impartial trial. Um, Democratic Senator Doug Jones of Alabama signaling that he sees some gaps in the evidence that's been put forth. Take a listen. But if those dots aren't connected and there are other explanations that I think are consistent with innocence, I will go that way, too. There are gaps. Now, people can make up their mind with gaps in testimony, but I would like to see a full and complete picture. He would like to see a full and complete picture. Do you agree? And and are you concerned at all? The impeachment case that's been put out there, what we know thus far from House Democrats is not rock solid, especially if there's a chance there may not be additional witnesses or evidence. Well, I think Senator Jones is absolutely correct. Again, remember what we did last week was we brought the charges against the president. Now it's about the trial, presenting the evidence and presenting the case. And then those jurists like Senator Jones will have to make a decision on guilty or not guilty. Mm -hmm. And, And is there enough there if there is not additional evidence or witnesses that are ultimately presented? If there is not an agreement here, do you think there's enough to truly make a case at this point in the Senate? You know, there was enough to bring charges. I think the reason why um, Senator Schumer is pushing for witnesses is, you know, Mick Mulvaney was in the room. He can either exonerate the the president or, you know, support and corroborate the evidence that's been presented. Um, Mike Pompeo was in the room. John Bolton was in the room. These are folks that have direct facts and they ought to be at that trial. So Senator Jones and, and all of the senators can hear all the facts and they could come to their conclusion. Let's talk uh, quickly 2020 before we let you go. Of course, just days away uh, from the new year and the 2020 race will certainly dominate uh, the headlines and politics. Today on CNN, your fellow Californian, uh, Tony Cardenas, endorsed Joe Biden for president. Which candidate are you endorsing in 2020? Yeah, I've I've endorsed Joe Biden as well. And again, Mm -hmm. I think he's the one candidate who can step into office on day one, reassure our allies. You know, the president's been very disruptive in foreign policy. Um, And right now we need someone who's ready to lead on day one. And I think that's Vice President Biden. Democratic Congressman Amin Barra of California, appreciate you joining us and happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays. As North Korea's Kim Jong-un threatens to send the U.S. an unwelcome Christmas gift, a former Trump top aide is now accusing the president of being soft on the rogue regime. In our world lead, the charm offensive apparently didn't work. A source telling CNN the Christmas gift North Korea threatened could be a new hardline approach to the United States that could possibly include a new missile test. Meantime, former National Security Advisor John Bolton is accusing President Trump of bluffing on North Korea, suggesting an all-talk approach is putting U.S. forces at imminent risk. CNN's Barbara Starr has more from the Pentagon. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton slamming President Trump for failing to get North Korea to give up its nuclear weapons. Tweeting this afternoon, there is no real policy. The risk to U.S. forces and our allies is imminent and more effective policy is required before North Korea has the technology to threaten the American homeland. Bolton doubling down on critical remarks he made this weekend, telling Axios... The idea that we are somehow exerting maximum pressure on North Korea is just unfortunately not true. 
Bolton had a much different view last year. Physically, we would be able to dismantle uh, the overwhelming uh, bulk of their programs within a year. Bolton's comments come as North Korea threatens a, quote, Christmas gift to the U.S. That's left U.S. intelligence and the military looking for signs of what the North Koreans are planning. New images show expanded efforts at one plant for production of long-range intercontinental ballistic missile launchers. At the Sohei Satellite Launching Station, the U.S. is looking for signs of more advanced engine missile tests or launch of a long-range missile that could threaten the U.S. There are even worries of an underground nuclear test, even though these test tunnels were supposedly destroyed by Kim. A source familiar with the North Korean leadership's current thinking tells CNN Kim is expected to take a wait-and-see approach as he assesses Trump's political vulnerability. He sees Trump as being weakened by impeachment. He thinks that the United States itself is going through really a political crisis in essence. Kim has met with his top military leaders and is expected to address a Workers' Party meeting Sunday. The U.S. will be looking for any hints of what may be to come. Barbara Starr, CNN, the Pentagon. It was the murder that outraged the world. But now, more than a year after the brutal killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, Saudi Arabia has sentenced five people to death for their roles in his death while clearing a former top advisor to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. A senior Trump administration official responding to the verdict says, quote, this is an important step in holding those responsible for this terrible crime accountable. And we encourage Saudi Arabia to continue with a fair and transparent judicial process. But as CNN's Nick Robertson reports, many are unconvinced justice was done. The verdict, including five death penalties, eye-catching, but not yet convincing. First, the death sentence for five of the defendants who committed and participated in the murder of the victim. May he rest in peace. Second, imprisoning three of the defendants for covering up this murder and violating regulations for a range of sentences that total 24 years. But no names released of the guilty. The only ones named, those found not guilty. Significantly, two of them, close to Saudi's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, former senior advisor Saud al-Qatani, and ex-deputy intelligence chief Ahmed al-Asiri, blameless. Apparently distancing the Crown Prince from CIA claims he had a role in the Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi's killing. The verdicts validating what Saudi officials said all along. A rendition gone wrong. He was killed in the consulate. We don't know the, in terms of details how. We don't know where the body is. The year-long trial lacked transparency, done behind closed doors with no cameras and no international monitors. Many questions remain, not least where is Khashoggi's body. Turkish officials are saying the verdict fails to meet their expectations and falls short on justice and accountability. Britain's foreign secretary also had a note of caution, saying that Saudi Arabia needed to hold all those responsible to account. Amnesty International also calling the verdict a whitewash. A UN special rapporteur tweeting, it's anything but justice in a long thread laying out the crimes committed. 
Those likely to face the death penalty include intelligence officer Maher Abdulaziz Mutreb, in charge of the operation, and forensic doctor Saleh Mohammed Al-Tabegi, a.k.a. the bonesaw doctor who allegedly dismembered Khashoggi's body inside the Saudi consulate. No indication if body double Mustafa al-Madani, who dressed in Khashoggi's clothes, left by the back door, laying a false trail, was one of those convicted of a cover-up, or one of those more than 20 questioned, half of whom were released. Other surprises include the acquitting of the Consul General, who, four days after the killing, took reporters on a hokey tour of the consulate. Nick Robertson, CNN, London. The head of Boeing is grounded as the airplane giant closes out one of its most turbulent years to date. That's next. In our money lead, the head of the world's largest aerospace company is out. Boeing CEO Dennis Millenbrook forced out after a historically tumultuous time at the company. With two deadly crashes just months apart, both involving Boeing's best-selling commercial jet, the 737 MAX. Now, the ouster comes after the company announced it was suspending production of the plane. Joining me now, CNN's business editor-at-large, Richard Quest. So, Richard, why now? Because the board was worried over the most recent spat that Boeing had with the regulator, the FAA, in which it seemed that Mullenberg was trying to pressure the FAA to get the plane back in the sky. Now, whether he was or he wasn't isn't relevant. The point is, he, the FAA felt he was. The FAA made it clear, the new head of the FAA, saying repeatedly, the plane will only fly when we determine it is safe to fly. And basically, it became became more of a liability to keep him there than not. Remember, Eric, it was always a case of when he would go, not if. Mm -hmm. And the board finally decided. And somewhat strangely, to be frank, two days before Christmas, they decided it was time to go. They decided it was time to go. You know, what you bring up about the FAA, too, really speaks to a larger point of what all of these, all of this unmasked, these tragedies, is, is frankly, is glaring revelation that for the most part... Um, Boeing was essentially policing itself. How much of that has changed at this point? It's changing. The whole process is changing. But that's the nub of this issue, that Boeing has the, the loss of trust in Boeing, but also the loss of trust in the regulator. So now you have a regulator that's trying to be as regulatory as it possibly can to prove that it can still do it. It still has the ability to force and to, to, to make the rules necessary. But there are both organizations are grappling with the fact they've got to get the max in the air. Boeing hasn't provided the necessary data. The FAA is determined not to let them get away with anything. And because the FAA also has to regain credibility with other global regulators. This is a mess. Make no bones about it. And it'll be quite a bit longer before it's sorted out. It certainly will. We know you will stay on top of it, though, and continue to keep us updated. Richard, thank you. Thanks for joining us today on The Lead. You can catch me on Twitter at Erica R. Hill. Be sure to tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Stay with us. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. 
Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.